Okay, let's get our Bibles out now because I'm excited about our new series. I love this time of year. I believe all Christians should. In fact, I believe all Christians should wear Christmas ties in December. (laughs) And I came across a letter to Santa I want to share with you. It goes like this. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There's Jeffrey, who was two. There's David, who was four. And there's Norman, who was seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time, and David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) And I love the little letter because it illustrates the truth. Oh, by the way, we need to dismiss power kids. If I haven't already done that, I apologize. If you've got a power kid child, this is your chance to go. But uh, I love the letter because it illustrates a truth about Christmas, and that is Christmas from the very beginning has been dividing people. And the reason is because the Christmas story asks questions to which men give very different answers. So for the next three weeks, I want to look at some of those questions. And the way we're going to do it, I'm calling the series Christmas Town because I want us to look at the three main towns where the Christmas story happened. Because each one asks a powerful question. And the first town we're going to look at is Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 2 says in the first two verses that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Every town asks a question. And Jerusalem's question is the one we must begin with. Because it asks, will you accept a new king? This is what Jerusalem wrestled with. The Magi, notice, did not say, we're looking for a kid. They said, we're looking for a king. There's a reason we don't call this season Jesus must. We call it Christmas because it is the celebration of the birth of the anointed one, the Messiah. That Christmas is more than just the celebration of the birth of a redeemer. It is the celebration of the coming of a ruler. The birth of a king. Jesus' favorite sermon. Every preacher's got a favorite sermon. His favorite sermon, his first sermon was this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He understood he came to bring a new dominion. To usher in a new authority. Christmas is heaven's announcement. That all illegitimate sovereignty is about to be short lived. Now, this is what the coming of Jesus represented. And it's what all who loved power resented. Jesus wasn't crucified for telling people to be nice. He was put to death by the powers in charge because they understood exactly what he was saying. That he was claiming a sovereignty 
that superseded theirs. Because this is what kings do. Kings expect and demand unquestioned allegiance. And Christmas says a new king has been born. And his dominion is greater than any other. And first allegiance, first loyalty, first submission should go to him. But what about the kingdoms of men? You've got a tension going. Which kingdom should get my first allegiance? And nobody grasped this tension quicker than they did in Jerusalem. What I want to do today is talk about the three different reactions in Jerusalem to the news that there was a new king in town. The first reaction you would expect, some abhorred him. I know that's a strong word. It means to be disgusted or even to hate, but it's not strong enough to describe the reaction of some. That the announcement of the birth of the Prince of Peace greatly disturbed the peace in Jerusalem. The next verse says that when King Herod heard this, the announcement of the birth of a new king, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Because people who love power get very nervous when their idol is threatened. We know people like this, don't we? Who just abuse power. Maybe you heard the story of the guy that went to his doctor to have a mole removed from his chin. And this pit bull of a nurse comes out and says, go down the hall, first door on your left, take off your clothes. He says, ma'am, I don't think that's necessary. I just have a mole on my chin. Down the hall, first door on your left, take off your clothes. But ma'am, I really don't think. Down the hall, first door on the left, take off your clothes. So he meekly goes down the hall, goes into the first door on the left. There's another guy on the table sitting in his box of shorts. He said, man, that nurse is mean. Guy says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. There are some... (laughs) There are some people who simply cannot handle a challenge to their authority. The Bible says that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, and Herod wasn't ready for his time to be up. And he only knew one way to rule, and it was the way that power-hungry people have always ruled. Eliminate the opposition. He ruled for about 40 years. He liked to call himself the King of the Jews. And the way he stayed in power was through ruthlessness. He had his brother-in-law murdered because he thought he was a threat. Had his mother-in-law murdered. Had one of his wives murdered. Had three of his sons murdered because he thought they were threats. Caesar said it is better to be Herod's dog than to be Herod's son. And so when Herod is troubled, you understand why it says all Jerusalem was troubled. Because when Herod is disturbed, it's about to be bad news for somebody. And so what's he going to do? He's going to do what he always does. What's his fallback position? Eliminate the threat. He calls in the Magi. He manipulates them into trying to divulge the location of his rival. It says in verse 7 and 8, he called them in secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. 
And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. It's all a lie. He has no intention of worshiping that child. Notice, he did not say, go find the king. He said, go find the child. But he can't send an armed guard with the wise men. That would reveal his true intention. So he says, just go find the child and come back and tell me where he is. Well, God intervenes, as you know. He warns the wise men to go back a different way. He warns Joseph to take his wife and new baby and head down to Egypt. And when Herod finds out that his plot has been foiled... This power-mad maniac, monarch, he goes into his true default mode. He gives the order for soldiers to go to Bethlehem and start murdering baby boys. That's the part of the Christmas story that never makes it on a card. But Matthew says this is how the story really ended. you got a raving ruler you got a fugitive family. And you got a bunch of little bitty graves outside Bethlehem. And Herod's gone. But the Herod spirit lives on. Herod's the graphic illustration of the disease of self-absorption. That has infected all men and all women. You see, the first reaction... Of raw human nature to the kingship of Christ is rebellion. Unregenerate human nature fights passionately for self-sovereignty. Who are the heroes in our movies? They are the people that take nothing off nobody. Nobody tells me what to do. Our country was founded by a cry, we serve no sovereign here. I will date who I want to date, and I'll marry who I want to marry. I'll work where I want to work, and I'll spend my money the way I want to spend my money. I will party the way I want to party, and I will go to church only when I feel like it. The Herod spirit has no problem with Christmas pageants as long as Jesus stays a baby. But that same spirit will ruthlessly resist any challenge to its dominion. Christmas asks a tough question. Are you going to give up your puny dynasties and acknowledge that a greater king is on the scene will you accept a new king and some in Jerusalem said absolutely not but not most now most ignored him It's always been amazing to me. Because you see, when the shepherds told the whole countryside what they had seen, the whole area was abuzz about the birth of this new special baby. And then the magi show up and the whole city gets abuzz again. So everybody's talking about it. Something very special has happened. Now, if you are a religious leader 
And you have been waiting for centuries for your Messiah to show up. And then the word on the street is, maybe he's been born. Wouldn't you be obsessed with going to find out if it was so? They even knew where to go. Again, back to our story in verse 4 through 6. When Herod had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler. Notice, not just a savior, a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Well, then why didn't they make the trip? They had heard the word on the street. They knew exactly from Scripture where to go look first. They knew all the right verses. But they were too busy to go searching for a new king. Maybe that's why God called the shepherds to go. Because the preachers were too occupied. Back in that day, shepherds were despised. They were considered crooks. You couldn't even take the testimony of a shepherd in court. But they were at least willing to make the trip and find out if what the angel said was true. The despised were willing to go search. The devout had other things to do. And their refusal to travel five miles to investigate is prophetic of a journey they wouldn't make 30 years later. Jesus would speak to these same men in John 5 and he would say, You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. And these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know what? It's possible to know the Bible and ignore the king. It's possible to have memorized every fact about the Christmas story and miss the king. It's easy to do this time of year, isn't it? We've got parties to plan and we've got shopping to do and we've got decorations to get up and got all kinds of things at the job I've got to finish before year end. So we hear the verses and we sing the carols. But do we miss the king? A family named the Rovolds wrote to Christian Read Magazine a couple of years ago. It's in first week of January. And they're all getting together putting up the Christmas decorations. And the mother says they were almost through when her three-year-old daughter comes in the room. And she had the little Jesus figure from the family nativity set. She said, Mama, Mama, you almost forgot to pack up Jesus. And she felt real convicted by that statement. Because she wondered if that isn't exactly what we do. Most of us don't think hateful thoughts about Jesus. Many of us don't think thoughts about Jesus at all. Christmas asks you and me to slow down and ponder 
the wonder. There is a new king in town. And for a few, that will always be the reason for the season. Because, yeah, some abhorred him and most ignored him, but there were a few that adored him. What disturbed some delighted others because there there were a few that were waiting a long time for the overthrow of deceptive dominions. Now, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, a long text that we usually don't read in the Christmas season, but we ought to because it is a part of the story of the birth of the king. So let's start in verse 21. Now, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. By the way, the law said a lamb. Only if you were poor were you to do the birds. Joseph and Mary were poor folks. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem. Listen close, because you're about to meet two of the weirdest people in the Bible. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, alive for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, his child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now let's be honest. These two must have seemed like weirdos. Now you think I'm kidding? Ladies, what are you going to do if you're holding your brand new baby out there in the atrium and some guy you've never seen, some old guy walks up, grabs him, holds him up, starts dancing around saying, now I can die, now I can die. Can you say pepper spray? (laughs) A guy at the mall grabs some lady's baby and starts dancing around. He's going to get tasered, right? And Anna, she comes across like some wacko charismatic lady with a tambourine. I mean, come on. Who stays at church all day and all night worshiping? 
These two are weird. But let me tell you something. I'm going to give you some good advice. If God ever calls you to move to another city, you've got to find a new church. You find a church with some weirdos in it. This church is full of weirdos. It is, I promise. And if you're thinking, I don't know any weirdos, well, what does that tell you? And here's why you need to know that. Because throughout the Bible, God delights in revealing himself to weirdos. Because weirdos are most willing to rebel against the status quo. And to embrace something new from God. And I think it's significant that Simeon somehow connects his own peaceful death to the hopeful birth of this baby. Lord, I can die in peace now. Because he saw in the coming of a new king the inevitable downfall of all illegitimate empires. He's saying, I can die in peace now. Because the birth of this baby means all false kings are going down. Death, disease, injustice, poverty, racism, all illegitimate sovereignties are going to bow before this baby. And we can live with faith and we can live with hope and we can die with peace because the real king has showed up. Christmas asks us to live with hope and with faith in a world that's still governed by Herods. I came across a story about a woman named Anne. This happened a while back during the days of World War II. She and her two boys lived in another state, but when her husband was sent overseas as a pilot in the conflict, she moved back to East Texas to be with her parents. And it was this time of year, and they were getting ready for Christmas, and they had put up a tree, and they would bought a few gifts. And, and the, the gaiety of the season had helped mute the sorrow of being away from Daddy. It was one week till Christmas when the man from the military office came up to the door that you never want to see if your loved one's overseas. Daddy wasn't coming home for Christmas. Daddy would never be at another Christmas. He was killed in action over in Europe. Anne got the news and immediately just ran to a bedroom and shut the door and stayed there a long time. And there's mom and dad and their two grandsons. What do you do? It seemed like all the decorations of the tree seemed inappropriate in view of the brokenheartedness of the news. And so... They took it down and they took the tree outside. And after a long time, Anne came out of the bedroom. And her first question is, where's the tree? And her mother said, well, honey, it just seemed like in view of the news, it, it'd be best to take it down. And she said, oh, no, Mama. Let's get that tree and bring it back in. Christmas was made for times like this. Christmas is the news that we don't have to live in fear and despair anymore when the Herods of the world do what they do. Jerusalem's question still rings down through the ages. Will you accept a new king? 
Will you be among the few that will say, Oh, come, let us adore him. You see, every week a town is going to ask a question. And every week I'm going to close by asking you a question. Here's your question for this week. In view of the coming of the new king, this Christmas, will you pray for rain? Because someone has come to take dominion that preempts your own. Christmas is a call for you and me to make the daily transfer of sovereignty back to God. Because here's the deal. Jesus is not the pretender to the throne. You and I are. And given Christ control is the best gift you will ever give. And it's the best gift you will ever receive. This past week in the Dallas Morning News, I read an article about a young man who plays football at the University of Texas. A lot of stories about the big game that took place last night. His name was Chris Hall. He's from Irving. He plays center for the offensive line. And Chris grew up in a family that went to church. But he says in the story, his freshman year at the University of Texas, he was in a bad place emotionally and most of all, spiritually and I love the fact that he was so public in the interview about what happened he said in that article one night in my dorm room everything changed I cried out to God said I've been raised in church but this was different this was my first prayer that I really meant and I said Lord I hate my life I've been living for myself and I'm fully convinced everything I was doing, I was doing for me. And right there in print in the Dallas Morning News, the next line said that he felt Jesus Christ enter his life and enter his heart. And I'm sure the young man's excited about the game last night, but I think he'll tell you the greatest moment of his life was when there was a transfer of sovereignty it was the greatest gift he ever gave it's the greatest gift he'll ever receive and I'd like to ask you to give and receive right now would you bow your head with me I'd like you to pray a prayer Lord I am surrendering control and I don't want you to pick a thousand things just pick one For the next two or three weeks during the Christmas season, pick one part of your life where it's hard to let Jesus be totally in charge. Just pick that one place and say, Lord, I pray for rain.
We're going to sing another song, another transfer of rain song. And while we sing, if you would like to invite Christ into your heart, if you'd like to transfer sovereignty and give Jesus control, just come, confess him, be baptized today into his name. Do you know why the wise men said, we've come for him who was born king? The reason you could say he was born king is because he was already king. He was king before he was born. He's always been king. He always will be. And so we're going to sing to the king and give him what is truly his. Let's stand now and you can come.